It's Monday, February 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. We have a huge week for politics as the Democratic nominating process begins Monday with the Iowa caucus. Tuesday, President Trump will deliver his third State of the Union address with the theme of the Great American Comeback. Wednesday, the Senate will vote on impeachment with an expected acquittal of the president. And Friday will bring us to another Democratic debate. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to lay it all out. Next, the drug Kratom is gaining in popularity across the country. And some say that there could be between 10 and 15 million users in the U.S. alone, with a thriving culture of Kratom users online. People are taking Kratom for everything from chronic pain relief to replacement of their morning coffee and even to get high. Available in head shops and some gas stations, the federal government has been considering a total ban after finding it in the system of some who have died of drug overdoses. Emma Gray Ellis, writer at Wired, joins us for what Kratom is all about. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We called the president of Ukraine and asked him to become involved in investigating Joe Biden. The second thing was, at least in part, He delayed the military and other assistance to Ukraine in order to encourage that investigation. I think he shouldn't have done it. I think it was wrong. I think what he did is a long way from treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. We have a huge political week happening. We have the Iowa caucuses. We have the State of the Union address. We expect the Senate to vote for acquittal in the impeachment hearing. And then we also have another round of Democratic debates that go on Friday. It's just there's going to be so much going on. So let's try to take them in order. Let's start off with the Iowa caucuses. You're actually in in Iowa to cover this. Sanders and Biden are still kind of the front runners in polls there. But what are we expecting in Iowa? That's right. I am coming to you from outside a Pete Buttigieg rally in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, where he's going to speak shortly. Uh, So lots of activity here on the ground in Des Moines as candidates uh, on Sunday are making their final pitches ahead of the Monday night caucuses. Um, You're right. We think that Biden and Bernie Sanders are sort of the two front runners. Um, I can tell you that here on the ground in Iowa, seeing a lot of confidence from Team Sanders, they seem to be very confident that they're going to be victorious on Monday. Not as much confidence from Team Biden. They're still making their pitch. They're still trying to win voters over. uh, And they're still on the ground here, uh, knocking doors and trying to get people uh, to come on board. So uh, it's going to be down to the wire. Um, But Iowa's known for surprises. So don't expect any poll to be predictive of what we're going to see on Monday night. (laughs) Iowa always obviously gets a lot of play because they're the first to vote. But also the caucus system. It's always a little weird, a little wonky. You got to gather in your groups. And, you know, then really what they do is they assign delegates proportionately to whoever has the most uh, people voting for them that way. So while there will be a winner in the Iowa caucus, there, it really is a game of who comes in second and third also, because they really still have a chance. Absolutely. They're, the winner of the nomination will not be decided in Iowa, but I would expect that whoever is the nominee uh, finishes in the top three or four here in Iowa because they need uh, to survive that sort of calling, uh, this very complicated process. They need to get to the other side of it, and as well in New Hampshire, in order to make the case that they're really viable in the whole country. 
The rules were changed this year. There are actually fewer caucuses than there were in the past, right? That's right. There's also a new floor that they have to meet. They have to have gotten at least 15% of the support in an individual precinct or in the congressional district or in the state to win a a delegate. So for some of the candidates, even some of the candidates polling at third and fourth place, that may prove to be a challenge because they're polling at 12 and 13%. And if they can't break 15%, uh, then at the end of the day, they won't have any delegates at all. So that's going to be a real difficult thing for some of these Democrats. Okay, so that's Monday night. That is uh, the Democrats starting to formulate, you know, who could possibly be the nominee for president there. On Tuesday night, we'll have the State of the Union address from President Trump. It's his third State of the Union address. And uh, officials have said that the theme of the State of the Union is going to be the great American comeback. They say that Trump is going to take an optimistic tone. And this is really the fresh start to his reelection bid, really. I mean, he's going to make the case all over again for people to vote for him in 2020. That's right. You know, the president had expected to be able to get up at his State of the Union address and declare that he had been exonerated or cleared by the Senate in this impeachment. That will not be the case, as you mentioned earlier. The impeachment vote will come later. But we are going to hear him make his pitch to America about why he should be reelected. This will be his last State of the Union before the November election. Um, So he's going to make the case that the economy is better, that people are better off, that the United States is better off since he got elected, and that if they want to hold on to that progress, that they should reelect him. Uh, They're saying, you know, he's going to focus a lot on his prior actions, things that he's gotten done, a little less on maybe goals for the future, just realizing how hard it is to work with Congress and work with Democrats, obviously. But a lot of people have said there will be no mention of impeachment. That is the plan. And historically, the president has stuck to the script when giving big speeches like this. But we must remember that seated behind him will be Nancy Pelosi. And there's uh, always the possibility that he goes off script as he delivers the speech. He knows what's going to happen in the Senate. It's going to be a victory lap still. Uh, On the Democratic side, Governor Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is going to deliver the Democratic response there. That's right. And she is expected to be on short lists for whoever the potential or the eventual nominee for the Democrats is. She won in a state that is a swing state that Democrats need to win in November. She's popular and well-liked. So this will be her first real national moment to introduce herself to the country with her response. All right. The big day on Wednesday will be the Senate vote to, as as I said, we expect them to acquit the president of the uh, impeachment charges, the obstruction of Congress, and uh, the abuse of power charges that they've made the articles of impeachment about. This comes after Senate Republicans blocked any potential new witnesses coming to testify. That's right. So uh, this is going to wrap up on Wednesday. We're going to hear closing remarks on Monday. Expect to hear senators on the floor on Tuesday explaining the reasoning behind their vote. And then this vote on Wednesday morning. So uh, the the end is in sight. The president is absolutely, we expect to be uh, clear to not be removed from office uh, when that vote takes place. Uh, there, There will be some speculation about Democrats and Republicans who might cross over and not vote with their party. That could happen in both cases, going both ways, um, but the outcome is pretty well determined. Life after this might be a little awkward. I mean, Senate Republicans are taking the time over the weekend to really say, you know, the president, the president's actions were wrong, but not impeachable. Uh, Maybe the call wasn't perfect. He shouldn't have gone about it that way. I don't agree with it, but it's not impeachable. 
And then on the other side, Democrats are saying, you know, we're still going to have investigations of the president. We're still going to go after him legislatively and, and working together. It's going to be a tough period still. It is going to be tough. I think that election years are always hard uh, for the dynamic between a president and Congress, especially when part of that uh, body is controlled by the opposite party. So uh, expect to see still fireworks for the next several months. And the president, how does the president act throughout all of this? I mean, the president has uh, gone back and forth between uh, trying to mount uh, sort of a full-throated uh, response and trying to ignore them. And so uh, it'll, be, it'll be seen how he decides to handle them, especially with also taking fire from his eventual Democratic opponent in the general election. Uh, he'll be hearing it from all sides. And then finally, like I said, it's a, it's a busy week, a huge week. On Friday, there's going to be another round of Democratic debates. This is going to be in New Hampshire now, this will be interesting because there will be a clear front runner right after the Iowa caucus. So we'll kind of know where all of the fire is going to be aimed at. That's right. We will uh, no longer be operating off polls. We will be operating off of actual vote totals and how um, the voters of Iowa have weighed in and what we're looking ahead to November, I mean, to New Hampshire um, the next week. So this debate on Friday will culminate a very big political week and we'll see what they have to say. And, and potentially, as the nation's attention turns from impeachment to the election and people just start paying more attention. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My experience is limited, um, but I would say that in the low amount that I took, at first you feel a little bit like you drank a cup of coffee, and then you feel a little bit like you drank a glass of wine. Uh, it was like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively mild and mellow sort of experience. And how long would you say that whole experience lasted? Maybe two hours, like at most. It's not as if you're, you're going on a trip on, on right. Kratom or something like that. Joining us now is Emma Gray Ellis, writer at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about one of the hottest new drug cultures. It's something surrounding a drug called Kratom. You know, a lot of people are using it. I think there's between 10 and 15 million users in the United States. But the FDA and the CDC aren't big fans of it, even though there's not really much that we know about it. People use this drug for a lot of different reasons, chronic pain relief, replacement for their morning coffee even. Some are even using it as a way to get off of other drugs. But we still don't know too much about it. So, uh, Emma, tell us a little bit about the story that you wrote about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm out here in Portland, Oregon, um, and the story came to my attention because in Portland, uh, Kratom or Kratom or Ketum or however you want to say it, um, ha is, is fairly common in its use. In fact, um, according to Google Trends, this is the highest search volume per capita anywhere in the United States. Um, and so you'll just see, um, <laughs> you'll just see signs on corner stores saying, you know, Kratom sold here. Uh, and, and I got curious about it, and I decided to write a piece uh, outlining what we do know, and, and as you said, a lot of it ended up being about what we don't know. And you visited a woman whose name is Faith Day, and she runs one of only two Kratom businesses that are licensed by the Department of Agriculture in the entire country. So I guess, you know, she knows what she's doing there. Tell us about her and what she does there with her shop. Absolutely. Um, Faith is a really interesting person. Um, 
uh, she struggled with substance abuse um, for most of her life, was in and out of jail, struggled with homelessness, and, you know, at, was out of options. Um, and she came across uh, a, an article about Kratom suggesting that it might help her get off of the substance that she was abusing. And um, it worked for her within two weeks, uh, which is incredible. And not everyone who takes, you know, takes this drug has a story like that. Hers is on, you know, the more dramatic side of things. But for her, it was, you know, she never went back. And after two weeks had sort of committed her life to making this drug accessible to other people, um, out of the hope that it would help others the way that it helped her. Um, and so since then, she's opened uh, a, a shop called Clean Crate in Portland. In, in Portland, and she also has a location uh, over in Colorado. Um, and it, for all the world, it looks like a coffee shop or a high-end dispensary. You'd never, you know, there's not a, <laughs> not a touch of seediness uh, to it at all. Um, and, you know, and it's on a, a trendy street intermixed with, you know, bars and, and restaurants. And it's just, you know... Uh, a regular part of life and it's, you know, licensed with the Department of Agriculture and I think the FDA as um, a food substance because it's not technically regulated as a drug. And so what do we know exactly about Kratom? I mean, everybody seems to agree. It's, I mean, it's a plant. It's like kind of like an herbal supplement, I guess you can maybe classify it as even. So what do we know about it specifically? And then why are the FDA and the CDC trying to ban it? Because this is legal except for just a few states that have banned it overall. That's correct. Um, So what we know for sure is that there's a long uh, history of use in Southeast Asia, which is where um, the tree grows wild. And so day laborers would uh, chew on leaves as a kind of, you know, for a boost like caffeine uh, at the start of the day uh, to get through their work. And then at the end of the day, um, might brew the leaves into tea, which extracts different compounds that have more of a sedative, maybe pain-relieving effect. Um, And so it's been used for at least hundreds of years that way. Um, And so that's what we know for sure. Um, And uh, there's lots of compounds in it that people are curious about what exactly that they do. Um, But it's but, it, you know, again, it's not it's not clear. Some people have said that they might have some anti-cancer properties. Some other people have said that, you know, uh, and this is where the FDA uh, and others come in. They, you know, they do bind to the same receptors in your brain as opioids. And so, you know, that's of concern uh, for the DEA. Uh, and especially because it's been the drug's been found in the system of people who have unfortunately tra- uh, died of drug overdose. Um, and so, you know, the CDC has found dozens of cases in which this is the case, which in which this is true. Um, and so I think that would be cause for concern you know, for, for anyone if, if you're finding this, you know, pri- this drug primarily in the system of people who, who are really struggling or, or have actually died. There might have been other substances in these people involved in these overdose deaths. It just so happens that Kratom was also there. It follows a kind of logic, though, right? Like if people are trying to use Kratom to get off of drugs that they don't want to be on anymore, you know, those people might also be ones who might suffer overdose. It's like, you know, it's a way to end your addiction, but it's not it's not an instant cure. Right. There's been a few surveys done about Kratom use. From what I've seen is that maybe about two thirds of users say they use the drug to treat chronic pain or mental mm-hmm. or emotional orders like anxiety and depression and whatnot. And there's not very many that are using it recreational to get high or things like that. But I did want to ask you because you went out to the shop there in Portland. You did try some of this Kratom. What is mm-hmm. it like? What does it do to you? 
Well, so, you know, my experience is limited, um, but I would say that in the low amount that I took, um, at first you feel a little bit like you drank a cup of coffee, and then you feel a little bit like you drank a glass of wine. Uh, it was like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively mild and mellow sort of experience. And how long would you say that whole experience lasted? Oh, I, you know, maybe, maybe two hours, like at most. And it's not, you know, it's not an especially sort of debilitating might be the wrong word, but it's not as if you're, you're going on a trip on, right. on a Kratom or something like that. The thing about this too, is that there's the one shop that you went to there in Portland. There's only two approved shops, I guess, that are out there in the country. But really where Kratom has a lot of the culture is growing is really online. There's a lot of Facebook groups mm -hmm. and subreddits that are devoted to Kratom and people that are using it and, and people that are talking about how much they love it. Absolutely. Um, it's also popular on Instagram. Uh, it's something that uh, fitness influencers in particular will sell as supplements. You know, there's, I mean, the internet has a thriving supplement business in general. And so it makes sense to me that this would fit in with the rest of them, right? And especially because that's how it's mostly available. It's like the, um, you know, Face Days is one of the few, you know, licensed with the FDA, but there's no reason at this point, uh, sorry, um, Department of Agriculture. And, uh, and, but there's no reason to be at this point, right? So she's sort of being proactive with the, with the legal system. Um, and so you can find plenty of other shops in Portland and, and most cities, you know, because this is not something that's sort of geographically bounded. It's a nationwide thing um, that, that sell it alongside, you know, herbal teas or something like that. It's, you know, it's very much something that people um, are, are selling locally. But I think that uh, because there is, you know, maybe some questions about its legality and, you know, perhaps some of these people who are interested in it are also struggling. It is something that's sold um, online quite a bit. Um, yeah. But that is some, uh, in a way that it can be where uh, some of the problems occur because people do tend to make false claims about what exactly its effects are. In the meantime, it really seems like it's gaining in popularity. There are some places that have banned it, but there's also a few states are trying to maybe save it, I guess. There's been something called the Kratom Consumer Protection Act that was passed in a few states and pending in Oregon. There's still a lot more that needs to be known about this. Yeah, and I think that, you know, um, when you ban a drug, one of the things that it does is that it makes scientific research of that substance significantly harder. Um, and so some of the most compelling advocates that I heard um, against the ban were, were actually scientists who study um, the, you know, drugs and drug use. And they, they, you know, it's like we, tons of people are using this. Uh, a ban is not an effective way to really make people stop using a substance. And if you cut off all legal avenues um, for study and for purchase, then you're, you know, people are going to be taking a product that's less safe and we're going to know less about it. And so whether or not Kratom is something that everyone should be using, I think is, is a, you know, an unanswerable question at this point. And I think that the, the answer is probably not everyone should be using it, of course. Um, but I think that it does merit more, more study. And in order to do that, it, it makes it a lot easier to keep legal channels open. Emma Gray Ellis, writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.